Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Today we're going to be talking about Thessalonians, that's where we're at, so if you want to open your Bibles there to the book of, well really it's two books, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, but we're going to just cover mostly a couple of verses from Thessalonians and hit a couple of ideas uh, that, that are in Thessalonians. So when we talked today a little bit about this, when Paul was speaking to the church at Thessalonica, that's the name of the city, Thessalonica, when he was talking to them, he, he was really addressing something very uh, interesting. He was really talking to them about things that they should stay uh, static with or stay, uh, co- you know, kind of consisted with or co- committed to. It's so easy today, haven't you found it to be true? It's so easy today to to not remain in something. You know, I mean, I don't know how many of the cell phone commercials, it's funny, when one guy puts it out there, now all of them do the same thing. You know, oh, if, you, if you'll join us, uh, we'll give you $200 off your phone if you'll come to us. And so people jump ship and they go to them. And then another one comes back and says, hey, if you join us, we'll give you the new iPhone 13 for free. Everybody, you know, and they get these crazy people to do these crazy ads, and now everybody does the same ad. Because why? They're trying to pull you from something you're committed to. Now, you know, those cell phone contracts are not so easy to get out of sometimes, right? They're trying to pull you out of something you're committed to into something else. And what Paul was telling these guys is, I want you to stay faithful and committed to that which I have brought you to. You know, in our generation, I'm going to speak very candidly here about a couple of things. In our generation today, especially with our children, they may not understand this because they're in a world where everybody uh, seems to, to, to... complain a little bit and they feel like they're being mistreated in everything. But in the reality, you know, if you go back to the 40s and the 50s and you ask people, you ask your great-grandparents, your grandparents, whoever, you talk to those people and ask them what did they have to go through. You know, today, like James was saying, we were talking about different things earlier, but, you know, today in in our culture, it is is so easy to get our eyes on other things. And, And people will talk about, oh, it was so tough back then. Men domineered the home. Women had no, they couldn't say anything. You know, my grandmother lived through all that mess. And my granddad was a tough dude. No doubt about it. He'd kick your tail if he was here right now. If you picked a fight with him, he'd probably win. I'm just being honest with you. They they don't make them like that anymore. But you know, I never heard her complain so much like I hear people complain today. And that woman put up with a lot of mess. My granddaddy wasn't a perfect guy. He made a lot of mistakes, just like everybody else does. But, you know, I never heard her. You know, she stuck with him through some junk. She just put up with some junk. Didn't say it was the bad. Didn't say, and I'm not advocating that you put up with abuse or, or neglect or, or any kind of, you know, addictions or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I've actually been with people. I've encouraged them. You need to lead that joker. He is terrible. And I don't mean just he's a jerk. I mean, he's awful. He's abusive. Get out. And so I'm not advocating that you stay through any, just everything. But I am saying, um, when, when it gets to the point where somebody says, well, we just can't get along anymore. And I married you, you better not tell me that junk. Because I will lay down to you the thing I told you before I married you. You better have called me before it gets to that point. Tell me you can't get along. I'll tell you about getting along. What you can't along? Well, he watches sports all the time. I don't care if he watches 24-7. Well, that ain't right. Maybe it ain't, but that ain't grounds for getting out. Well, I, he was watching that before you started dating him. You just didn't know it. 
Come on. And fell out. And so it goes right the other way. Well, you know, she just, maybe she don't pay me no attention anymore. Well, maybe if you go watching a ball game all day, she might pay you some attention. You know, it's a working thing. But even in those things, that's not enough. A couple of generations ago, that would have never even been on the table. They just put up with some things. They just said, you know what? That's just, I ain't going to change that or fix that. They leave the cupboards all open all the time. You bonk your head on it. You know, you think you're going to change it. You ain't going to change it. That's not grounds for getting out. They knew how to stick through stuff, even though it was difficult. I'm not talking about going through abuse or addictions or neglect. I'm not, that kind of thing, the Bible is very clear. You have to get out of those situations. I am not talking about sticking through that. So, Pastor, well, did the Thessalonican church have to deal with marriages? I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about to know how to stick through something. How to remain faithful long enough. So what they were dealing with, though, they were a group of people who had come to Christ, some of the earliest people Paul reached, and they were being pulled away by wrong beliefs, by misbeliefs, by false beliefs, by false teachings. And in many of the cases, in most of the epistles, that's what you see in a lot of cases. And many of them stayed faithful. Many of them, they were torn. They were confused. They had these questions about things, especially the afterlife. They had questions about the return of Jesus. They didn't, they didn't understand certain things, and it was because most of them built their lives on a misbelief, which many people do today. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about them. So regardless of what you see or experience or feel, Paul told the church at Thessalonica to remain faithful, to stay steadfast in that faith which you were called. <clears throat> and it's funny today, you know, we talk about these different things, but, you know, our grandparents, they went through... Uh, many of them, great-grandparents, they went through a depression, multiple wars, multiple pandemics. This ain't the first rodeo for some of them. And I'm just saying, and they made it through all of it. I mean, we get our, we get all tore up, you know, oh, we got your president. Oh, I'm going to freak out. Oh. I mean, it happens every four years. Like we got a little surprise. Oh, oh. next year, y'all know there's an election next year, right? Don't get surprised. It's going to happen. And whenever year it happens, what do these guys do? They send you 40 different flyers to tell you why you ought to vote for them. They don't know you. They just want your vote. So don't get surprised. Don't let this stuff move you, right? But Paul encourages the Thessalonic church to remain steadfast in their faith, in, in their hope, and their love. And here's their, his charge to them. Despite persecution, tribulation, and difficulties, he was saying, your, his charge to them is for you to remain steadfast in the faith. To remain steadfast in the faith. So that's what we're talking about. Let me give you a couple of scriptures as we go forward with this. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse six. This is what Paul would say. He said, you also become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He means this. You're going to face, pers- as a believer, you will face persecution, trials, and difficulties in life. You will face them. <clears throat> but receive them with joy, if you will. When you go through difficult times, be imitators of us and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a map. Let me show you where Thessalonica was so you can see. But put this up here on the screen for you. Maybe you can see this. This is a kind of a uh, an, an older descriptive, I guess you would say. Currently, some of the names are different. But if you see right here, Thessalonica, it's a port city. There's Philippi, that's the Philippians. There's Corinth down there. You see the difference, and that's a good bit of distance. Here's Italy with the boot over there, so you get a perspective where it is. There are the Bereans right there who Paul talked about. But Thessalonica was a port city. 
And this guy who named, it was a king of Macedonia, his name was, uh, let me see, his name was Cassander, okay? And it was built upon the ancient city of Thermae, I think is how you would pronounce it. But anyway, it was a port city, and this guy, Cassander, he named the city after his wife, Thessalonica. But Thessalonica, interesting enough, was the half-sister of Alexander the Great. So just put a little history in perspective. I'm doing this because sometimes I want people to understand the Bible is not removed from the culture of the world. It, it is woven within history. It, it's just not separate out there. So anyway, just a little history there about Thessalonica. So let me show you this in, in another clip I want to show you right here. This is uh, the timeline of when it was written. So just so you can get an idea, <clears throat> when Paul visits Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, A.D. 50, and he writes 1 and 2 Thessalonians from Corinth, A.D. 50, 51. So you saw where Corinth was. He was further south. He wrote to this church from down there. It sends it up. But... The, the Thessalonican letters and the Corinth letters happen close to the same time. Some would say they try to get it so perfect. I, I don't have time to get into that. They're very close within a couple of years apart. So in Paul's writing, the Corinth church dealt with a lot of immaturity and immorality. The Thessalonicans, they dealt with a lot of confusion. They were torn with this idea that, well, when Jesus comes, what's it going to look like? And... They were torn, honestly, with this concept of, well, what about those who have gone on to be with the Lord? What about them? They were very confused because people were telling them false things or misbeliefs. So in Acts chapter 17 and verse 1, it says, When they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. This is Paul's missionary journey. And this is in Acts. This is why when you read Acts, you'll see most of these other churches laid out in Acts, okay? <clears throat> but it says he went to them in the synagogue of the Jews, and, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, in other words, for three different weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, so that's the Jews. Some of the Jews were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks, now, these would be what we would call Greeks. When you see Paul says many times about these ideas of to the Jew first and then to the Greek, the Greek was considered many times the, the, the world outside of Jewish culture, the Gentiles, if you will. They weren't the only ones, but they were many times considered very philosophical. You know this about them, very immoral. And, and so the Jews came to faith in Christ. Then some God-fearing Greeks came to Christ and a number of leading women. Notice the word leading women. We're in this region. So these different groups of people came to Christ. They're there. Now they become Christians. And in, 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 in Greek culture, there was a lot of philosophy. They believed in a number of things. They believed in everything from, from resurrection to, to, to uh, reincarnation to you, you name it. The gods, they just were a random eclectic mess of, you know, mush of junk, you know. And it sounds very similar to where we're going today, but this is why you need to really understand this. They had some really strange beliefs, and it creeped into the church, and now they're confused. And so Paul wants to help them. And what Paul does, I'm going to give you three little things right here, and then we'll go forward. But what Paul does is, in many of his writings, I just want to share this with you so you can understand how he writes. Paul, in most cases, when he's writing, he is really just doing three different things. Okay, I'm going to put them on the screen for you, okay? These three things pretty much are in the majority of all of his writings, okay? So take a look at this. These are, just put all three of them up there for you real quick. He is either forming a new belief in people, 
Brand new. You've never heard this before. He's either forming a new belief in people. Number two, he's strengthening that belief that you have or a current belief or what you already know. He's strengthening it. He wants to strengthen what you know. He doesn't want you to go back. He wants to strengthen it. Or number three, he's there to correct a wrong belief. In the majority of his writings, that's what you see. He's either giving you something you've never heard, he is strengthening you, or he's going to correct something that you've gotten off track on. That's what he does in every single case. With the Thessalonican church, he's there to correct something. That's what he's going to do. So more than anything, most people would agree, it is the most important thing that we do as believers is see people get saved. Wouldn't you agree? Probably job number one that we have, right, as believers is to see people saved. Don't you agree? That's probably, there's really nothing more important than that, right? Jesus gave his life for salvation. Therefore, the number one thing that should be on our hearts is to see people saved. Absolutely true. But Jesus also said, go into all the world and make disciples. Not just get people saved, but don't just get them saved and leave them on their own, but make disciples out of them. And as important as it is for someone to be saved, it is also important that a church should not just be focused only on salvation. Another key importance is that we would equip saints. It, we, you can't do one without the other. If you just equip saints, we get so knowledge heavy that we're just fighting over our favorite Bible studies and then we're no good at all. Or we don't teach enough and then therefore we're just reaching a bunch of people for Christ and we get real confused about what we are. So therefore we need both. It takes both to really be solid. And so what Paul was saying is, man, y'all are doing great. You're reaching people. People are getting saved. But guys, you don't know a lot of stuff here. What's going on? So he wants to equip them in their faith. So Paul tells this church at Thessalonica, he says, I want to correct some wrong beliefs, all right? And this came about because they didn't adhere to a certain teaching. And that teaching was simply this. They did not know how to differentiate between the soul and the spirit. They had done what many people do today. They have combined the soul and the spirit into one. And so what I want to do today is help show you this. Because when you read both 1 and 2 Thessalonians, there's a number of things you can read. But to me, this jumps out at me more than anything, is the need to understand the difference that you are not, soul and spirit is not the same thing. They are two different things. And if you don't know that, you get real confused when you read the Bible because the word soul is used so many different times. So I'm going to read a number of scriptures. And depending on how quick we can get through this, it will determine how deep we go on the end of it, okay? So if, if we pay real good attention, and you don't go to sleep on me, and I don't see you sitting out there nodding at me, but you, you know, you, you're with me on this, we'll get through it good and quick, okay? But if I see you getting sleepy on me, like, I'm going to like throw something at you, all right? <laughs> this is the first belief that you need to understand, first and foremost, about who you are. Number one, you are a spirit. I'll put this on the screen for you so you can see this. You are a spirit. You have a soul. And you reside or live within a body. This is a fact. Theolog- theological position, if you want to go deep with it, a theological doctrine. Biblical doctrine of the Bible. This is unchanging. No matter who else tells you what they, no matter what they tell you, I'm about to show you from scripture, You need to understand this. You are a spirit. That's why when you are born again, you are born of the... Hmm. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the part of you that gets more attention probably than most. (laughs) And you live in a body. He's probably second. Let's just be honest. He might be first. Let's just sometimes. But you live in a body. 
This is a theological truth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, this is what Paul says. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, watch the three part, may your spirit and your soul and your body. Let's all say this together. May your spirit, may your soul, and may your body. Can we all agree Paul knew what he was talking about? You're a three-part being, right? No confusion about this whatsoever. May they all three be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted them to understand the return of Christ is going to be something important for you, but don't get confused about when he returns what part of you needs to pay attention. He said all three need to be uh, preserved blameless, if you will, but you need to understand the difference in the three. And so Jesus even says this. In Mark 12 and verse 30, he says this, and you ought to love the Lord your God. And this, we know this scripture, we've said it so many times, right? You should love the Lord your God with all of your, watch, heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Jesus Christ differentiated between the three-part human, if you will, spirit, soul, and body. So, well, where is it? Well, if you love the Lord God with all of your heart, that is the word, you can interchange that with the word spirit. Heart is not soul. People say things like this. Oh, you know, I just, you know, when I watch something, I just, you know, it just really just tugged at my heart. What they really mean is, no, it tugged at their emotions. Because you, let me just tell you, some false, fake, Hollywood-created movie doesn't tug on the spirit. It'll tug on your emotions, but the spirit is not moved by that mess. The spirit is only moved by God and his word. That's why when you read his word, it does something in here first. Before it does anything out here. Anyway, so your heart is your spirit and with all of your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And with all of your mind, your soul, he's, Jesus even broke down four parts if you want to. But anyway, your soul, your emotions, your, your conscience, the part of you that feels, that thinks, whatever. And he says your mind, that could be your psychological standpoint, the part of you that understands mathematics, you know, before it got weird. And with all of your strength, right? I'm sorry, sorry. That's your physical body. Anyway, <laughs> apparently that's still going on. So let's talk about each one real quick, okay? Number one, you have a, you're, you're a spirit. Number one, you're a spirit. You're a spirit being. You're not born again of the mind or the body, but of the spirit. Of the spirit. <clears throat> let me ask you a question. What, let, me, let me just read this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We'll put it on the screen for you. And it says, if any man be in Christ, or anyone, or any person be in Christ, he is a new Creation. Behold, all the old things have passed away and all the new things have come. Now, let me just break it down real quick so we can all understand this. Could he possibly be talking about your body? God help us all. Don't you wish he was? If I could have had some control over that, I would have told the Lord, hey, man, about 6'4", about 250, nothing but a hunk, a hunk, a chunk of man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, baby. And one of them GQ dudes, like, you're on a magazine. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. That didn't happen. And you can pray all day you want to. You can pray until you cry your eyeballs out. And I'm telling you right now, your body is what you what you got is what you got. All right? Now, you can work on it. You can diet it if you want to. You can change some stuff you want here and there. You can do the best you can. But listen, I'm just telling you right now, that right there is what you got. So he couldn't have been talking about your body. And he certainly wasn't talking about your mind. This is where Christians get messed up because they don't know why. I got saved. I cried. Got baptized. 
But I still have bad thoughts. What does that tell you? Your mind was not born again. But see, if you think, that's why people get hung up because they think, well, I should think differently. Well, you should, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But it ain't going to happen because you got saved. You're still going to have to deal with some stuff. You got to deal with your body. You got to deal with your mind. But the part of you that was born again was the spirit. Now, I'm not going to read all this to you, but you can go back and read it later. But in John chapter 3, just write this reference down. In John chapter 3, and verse around, uh, let me see, let's give it to you. John chapter 3, starting around verse 3, you can go to throughout the whole thing. It's talking about Jesus with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was so messed up with this. He said, how is it possible when Jesus said a man must be born again? Nick said, how is it possible that a, that a grown man can go back into his mama's womb and be born again? He was so confused. And Jesus actually, it's somewhat humorous. I wish I had time to get into this, but I don't. Read the context and look at Jesus. It, I underlined it in my Bible because I thought it was so funny to me. He said, Nicodemus, how is it that you are the teacher of Israel? Like, you know, Nicodemus, he, he, you know, I mean, I went to school, like, but we've never heard anything like this. And Jesus said, how can you be the teacher? You just asked me, is it possible for a grown human to go back to, do you hear what you just said? How stupid that sounds, and you are the teacher? What is wrong with this place? They talked further, and Jesus explained to him about the spirit. That which is born of flesh is human, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. He said, you must be born of water and spirit, which if you go into this a little bit deeper, it's very interesting. This is why Satan really has no authority over here, because he's just a spirit. He was not born of water. Jesus, this is so cool. Jesus was born of water, and he's also the spirit of God. He came in legally. Satan came in illegally. He just runs around here trying to tell you you're not a good Christian, tries to lie to you, steal, kill, and destroy. But he's just a spirit. Everybody gets all spooky spirity around Halloween. So let me just tell you something right now. He's just a spirit. He has no authority, no claim. He tries to. But Jesus is the only one that came in the right way. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and I come through the gate. And I come in and out, and I take care of my sheep. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice and they follow me. You have to follow the devil. He's a liar. He has no authority here. He came in illegally. He just tries his best to get people afraid and do crazy stuff. But I'm just telling you, Jesus, he came in the right way. Born of a woman. Satan didn't do that. He tries. That's why you hear things when Jesus cast out demons. He tries to get into a body. He tries, to, but it never lasts. Because when the body's gone, he's got to find something else. So you understand what I'm saying? He has no real authority at all. You need to know that. But anyway, you've been born of the spirit. Everybody got that, right? Number two, the soul. Let's go, let's go through the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. In its easiest explanation, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. When you see the word soul, many times when you see the word, sometimes when you see the word spirit, it means soul. You just have to look up the word and know which one it is because in their context, um, um, it, it was meant, you know, you know, in their way, they understood what this meant. In our culture, we don't understand the same thing. But so is your mind. It's your will. It's your decision-making process. And it is your emotions, okay? So this is why I can prove to you your mind is not born again. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. If you want to change the way you think, as a Christian, he says, 
be transformed, how? By the, of your, if your mind was saved, you wouldn't have to renew it. So you don't have to renew your spirit. It's born again, brand new, brand new. It, you, there's not a thing you can do about it either because Jesus did it. You're not renewing anything. It's brand new. Every day you get up, his mercies are renewed daily. Listen, you, it, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, but your stinking thinking will get you in trouble. Isn't that true? Yeah, it will. That's why Jesus said, why take thought of this day? Why are you worried so much about tomorrow? Man, today's got enough trouble as it is. You're making up drama for, we don't even know what's happening tomorrow. I think Jesus makes something. He said, you know, you come up with some stuff that I ain't even come up with yet. Like, y'all, whoa. You can't worry so much about that. Why? Because your mind will take control. So he says, renew your mind. So you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I don't have to come to get in all this in detail, but in James, the book of James, James says something that throws so many Christians off. So I want to say this before we go further, okay? James, in James chapter 1 and verse 16, James says something very interesting. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So very clearly right now, what, when he says you can't, do not be deceived, what part of you is he talking about? Your mind. Because is your spirit deceived? No, it can't be. It's born of God. It's the one part of you that is always on point with the Lord. Like it's always wanting to get stuff right, but your mind will go like, well. <clears throat> so every good thing, he says, verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That's salvation. And he said, this or this salvation, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone, watch, must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, obviously. And, and that comes out of a fleshly response that is without a renewing of the mind, if when the flesh is in control, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We know that. So he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, you could say it this way, Renew your mind with the word of God, but I'm going to say it the way James does. In humility, receive the word that has been implanted. This is why you need this. Because if without this, it, you're, you, can't, you can't force yourself to think differently. It won't happen without his word. And he says, receive the word that was implanted in you, which is able to save your souls. And when people read this, this is what they think. Well, man, I don't know if my soul is saved. Well, if you don't understand that you're a spirit, it gets very confusing. But if you know you're a spirit, what is he talking about right here? If I renew my mind with the word that was implanted, what's it going to do? It's going to save my mind, my will, and my emotions. Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? Y'all got it, right? Good. So you have to know the difference. Because then James says this. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers only who, watch this, they delude themselves. Just hearing me preach a word and if you don't do anything with what I'm telling you today, you are deluding yourself. It means to be, you are confusing yourself. It means to be watered down. Don't just be a hearer only, but be a doer. So he's talking about renewing your mind with God's word. It changes your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because that part of you is not born again. 
Your spirit is born again. So that goes to the last part. This is the third of the body. So just, just making these different, I just want to make sure these are clear. If you're watching online at home, just making these clear so that we all understand what we're talking about. And he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 about your body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Watch this. Who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So, when he was talking to these individuals, he's saying, your body is a temple, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, which you have been given. He's not saying your body is just you. He's saying the Holy Spirit resides within you, but your body is like a, a temple, and you've got to take care of it. You know, I mean, this is, a, in a sense, a temple, if you will. It's a church, but this, for the sake of argument, a temple to make sense with this. You know what you do with a temple? Depending on how big it is. The bigger it is, guess what adds to the list? More maintenance. Let's call it your house for a moment. <clears throat> the bigger your house gets, isn't it true you got more light bulbs? Do you have to maintain those bulbs? Yeah. If you don't, you're going to be in the dark, right? Do you ever vacuum your carpet? Yeah. Some people get tired of carpet throwing wood floors because they get tired of it, right? You maintain the grounds. Why? Because it is the place where you reside. But that place ain't you. You go in there and you sleep. But I promise you the sheetrock on the walls is not Jody. My wife hangs pictures on the walls and stuff. And when she's tired of that, she moves stuff around. About every six months, we're moving something. So I'm patching holes and retouching up. Why? If that was me, man, can you imagine the metamorphosis always changing something? Good gracious alive. I mean... You can change your hair and all that kind of thing, but you can't do it so much. This is just simply housing something. This is why when you get around some people, what they tell you? My granddad told me for years until the latter part of his life, he was in his 80s, and he said, I don't feel any different now. I don't, I, he said, I feel the same as I did back when I was 40. The only thing different now is my body don't move as fast as it used to. But he still, what he was saying was what? I still think the same. I still understand stuff. Huh? Just because I'm moving a little bit slower, Junior, don't don't think I can't jump on you. Like he he still felt like he got it, but you know, because your body is not you; it's housing the real you, and it houses the Holy Spirit too. So we understand that, right? So let me just answer the question now from Thessalonians, right? So they were confused. What were they confused about? This whole idea of heaven, eternity, and the return of Christ. So let me answer. Now, by knowing those three parts, this will make a lot more sense. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, they had questions about the dead in Christ. Now, I'm going to be doing a funeral at the end of this week. guy in our church, great guy, Dr. Gene Davidson, passed away this last week. And, and it's, it's just tough, man. The whole thing's tough. But one of the things I know from talking to him and talking to so many other people is this. When someone is a believer, you know it. They talk differently. You're able to assure people of certain things. I know they knew Jesus. And because I knew they know Jesus, or because I know that they knew Jesus, I, I know they're in a better place. We say stuff like that all the time, don't we? But then you read this and it gets kind of confusing. So let's read it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and look at verse 13. He says, out of the gate, this is what Paul says. We do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep. 
so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So first thing he says is this. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Talking about those who have died. So you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. First of all, what is he saying? You should have hope in Christ. You should have hope in this thing he's about to talk about. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Now, pay attention to what he says, by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord Jesus. So he's talking about us right now, okay? He says, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep that have already died. Now, this is where it gets kind of confusing. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, which is, if you ever hear these shofars being blown, this is what he's talking about. It's, a, it's a, like a ram's horn. It's going to be so loud and attention getting like, whoa, something just happened. You know, you, you know it. But he says, when you hear this, when the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, watch this, then the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when you read that, you think, well, I guess if everybody's dead, they're just hanging out in the grave. A lot of people believe this. A lot of people think, well, if somebody's died, they must, because they read this, they think, well, I guess, you know, my grandfather who's dead, I guess, you know, going on be with Jesus. We say that, but then we read this and we think, but yet, how are they going to raise from the dead if they're with Jesus? This is why you know the difference between the three parts. Because if you don't, you'll think, and if you're claustrophobic, this might freak you out right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how long will I be there? You know, Jesus, please, you'll be praying more than you ever prayed in your life, man. You'll be knocking on stuff, you know, if you could or whatever. Golly mercy, that'd be awful to think about that. Stuck in the dirt for like however long till Jesus gets ready to come back. I mean, he in a hurry, it don't seem like. So he says, then we who are alive and remain, so now he goes back to you and I, right? <clears throat> we will be caught up together with them, those who have died, <clears throat> in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Then he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you something right now. It is not comforting if you think your parents, your grandparents, your loved ones are sitting in the dirt until Jesus returns. That is not a comforting thought. Does that comfort you? So you have to look in the context of Scripture and understand what is he talking about. Paul would not be saying this and for us to think as a believer, well, when we're buried, that's it until Jesus comes back. But if you understand that you're a spirit that you have a soul and you live in a body, this will make much more sense. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 6. Look at this. He says, Therefore, being always a good courage, my brother, knowing this, that while we are at home in what? Right there ought to tell you enough that your body is just simply a housing unit. While we are at home In the body, we are absent from the Lord. Is that not true? Every one of us in this room right here, I know Jesus is with us. I know the presence of God is with us. I understand the Holy Spirit is with us. I don't. I understand all those theological beliefs. I get it. But you know as well as I do right now that the glory, the Shekinah glory, the presence of Almighty God in the throne room of heaven, you are not in that place right now. Can I get an amen? If we were, Pastor Jody would not even be preaching right now. We'd all be just sitting flat on our face before the Lord for who knows how long. Now, is he here? Yes, he's here. 
but we are not in his exactly. Do you understand the difference, right? Then Paul says, while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So what Paul is saying to all of us, and this is to make this very clear, is that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How does that happen? Well, if you know you're a spirit, that's how it happens. If you believe that somehow you're intertwined and your body is a part of you and you're kind of a conglomerated thing, then you, like I said, if you're claustrophobic, good luck with that. When, you're, when you leave this world, your spirit goes to be with Jesus if you're a believer. And I know nobody likes to hear this, but if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. No, no one likes to hear this stuff. Anyway, I wouldn't dare say that. At what point did we as Christians get so concerned with what people think that we forget to tell them the truth? There is a hell. There is a real devil. There are demons. There are evil spirits. And I'm telling you, people joke about it and act like it's not true. And Christians just kind of tiptoe around because we don't offend people. I'm telling you. You look around and see the evil in this world and tell me there's not? There is a hell. And if you deny Christ, you will go there. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't say that. What's the difference between saying that and saying if you know Jesus, you're going to go to heaven? What a glorious, I'd rather have this. And people say all the time, well, what if you're wrong? What if I am? I sure would rather be wrong and on this side than be wrong on that side. I mean, because you can't prove it either way. You've got to believe by faith in all of this. You just can't. And nobody, they say they're digging holes down and stuff, and they don't know. People say all kind of stuff. Well, we can't find this. I don't know. We're in the stratosphere. We don't see anything. It's all by faith. I'd much rather trust him. <laughs> and if I get there and I'm wrong about some of the stuff I'm telling you, at least I'm on that side of the wrong <laughs> instead of this side. That side over there sounds awful. But you go to be with him. Why? Spirit departs from the body. The body goes into the ground. And then your mind in the same place because it's an organ. So, well, Pastor Dodi, well, how then and why do these bodies come up out of the grave? It's called the resurrection. There was a resurrection that Jesus had. There was a resurrection even in the time of Jerusalem. When he was resurrected, there were other people that came up out of their graves. There's already been one. But what's going to happen is the Bible teaches us that you're going to get a glorified body. That when your body is resurrected, it's not just going to be like, you know, if you, if you go home to be with Jesus and you die before he comes back, your body gets resurrected in a sense. And he does this miracle work in your body that's no longer dominated by fleshly thoughts and the temptations of this world. But he turns it and transforms you just like Jesus and you're going to have a glorified body. Jesus has a glorified body. You're going to have a glorified body. And the thing is, if you're alive when Jesus comes back, we're not, they going first. You going to see it. Won't that be a sight? Whoa, that's Uncle Joe. Well, check that out, man. I bet there's going to be a lot of people praying real quick if they see that. Oh, Jesus. Oh, what's that? John 3, Yeah, they're going to go fast. I got it. Please, Lord. I mean, it's going to freak people. It freaked people out in the time of Christ. Now, while we, that happens, you're going to see it. And Paul says, you're not going first. They go first. You're going to say, oh, I'll check that out. And all of a sudden, he's like, woo, woo, woo. You going next. But you ain't going to just have this. He's going to transform your body too. 
you're going to get a glorified body. Because I'm telling you, this right here and its state does not get to go into the presence of God. This right here, the thoughts we have, all that junk, it's not going into the presence of God. Because it ain't, it cannot. Your spirit will, because it's born again. But this part's not, and your mind's not. So God's going to do a work. So when you read this, don't be confused by these philosophical people today. Try to make up all these things and these ideas. You're a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. If you know that, this makes sense. Your soul is not your spirit. Your spirit is not your soul. It's important to know that. So, as we close today, I want to pray for you. And I want you to hear this. Because I know many of you have loved ones. And listen, I've I've done more funerals this year. uh, And I've lost track, to be honest with you. And I know uh, many of you have friends, family, um, loved ones. This, This is to be an encouraging word. I, I get sad. I think about people. I, I miss my grandfather. I miss people. I miss my friend. I miss, I miss people that I love and care about. I really do. It's, it's tough at times. But I am encouraged by this because I know that the overwhelming majority of the people that I have done services for and things like that, I knew them well enough to know I know they're with the Lord. And that comforts me. It, it just comforts me. In, in times when I start to think about things and it, it gets to me, I, that comforts me. So I want to pray for you this morning. If you're at all torn in this thing, I want to pray for you that you would allow the Holy Spirit to help you renew your mind to this truth, that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And your loved ones, if they knew Christ, they are with the Lord. And But by the way, let me just say this. You really can't say, you say, well, it's, I don't think they were. You don't know that. I pray with a number of people at the end of their life, and, and you, you have no idea who came along at the end of their life and prayed with them. You have no idea. Trust God. Just trust God and give that to the Lord. So let me pray for you right now and just be comforted in this teaching that, that those who are absent from the body, they're with the Lord right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray for them and I ask you to give comfort, to give peace, to give, to give joy, Lord, that we can trust you that our loved ones, our families, those that we have gone before us, they are with you. They're in the presence of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for that. So encouraged by that word, Lord. And I pray that you would help each of us in this room understand the difference between that we are a spirit, that we have a soul, we live in a body. It's so important to know that, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you please teach, help explain whatever I left out or whatever I didn't make clear in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Would you make it clear in the name of Jesus? Lord, I pray today for every person in this room, for those watching online as well, with our eyes closed, no one looking around. If you're watching online as well, you're listening, you're watching online, you're in this room, you say, I don't know Jesus, I have never accepted Christ, or maybe you're just unsure about your walk with the Lord. I want to pray for you right now. This whole church will pray with you. But if you're here and you say, I don't know Christ, you say, Pastor Jody, I'm not sure. I want you to make this personal between you and God. We're going to pray with you, but this is between you and God right now. So just repeat this after me with the whole church right now. If you're watching online, pray this prayer with us right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life and I surrender my will to you. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, forgive me, Lord. Make me righteous. Make me new. 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Man, if you pray that prayer, we're so proud of you, church. Right, give him a hand, would you? So, so very proud of you. If you pray that prayer, you're watching online or in this room as well, you can go to connect.cornerstonerealm.com. We'd love to help you get started walking with Christ. It's very important that you renew your mind, as we talked about, and not just be a born-again believer. A born-again believer is great, most important, but we want to learn how Christ thinks. and We want to have the mind of Christ. So uh, if you'll do that for us, it'd be great. If you don't mind, just stand to your feet, and we'll have prayer ministry teams that'll be down front. If you need prayer for anything at all, uh, we're here for you. Maybe you have another prayer need that's in your life. Maybe you have something you want someone to pray for. Maybe you have a family member that you want us to pray for. These folks would love to pray for you, and they'll be down here at the end of church. And so, listen, I'm going to speak something over you. We do this every time we leave at the church. It's just a blessing from the book of Numbers. And the Lord said, every time that Aaron, you tell Aaron to speak this over the church, if you will. And so, in a sense, I guess I stand in that, in that role. So, <clears throat> as we speak this over you, understand this is not from Jody. This is from Jesus. All right, so I'm going to speak this over you and just receive this in the name of the Lord. Number six says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. May God bless you guys so much. We love you. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.